Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Morning. I'm glad you're here. I was here earlier, and you weren't here. It's different. Way less comfortable. Not quite as exciting. Um, I get to talk about love today, which it's one of those words that as a word, you're like, yes, let's talk about love. And then it sounds like fun and simple. And then when we actually get into talking about love, it's awfully weird and confusing um, because we end up meaning a whole lot of different things. Somebody say amen. What it, what it means to love, what it looks like to love, what it, what it looks like or feels like to experience love. Um, so we're going to hang out in, in, the, in this word for a while. Obviously, it's contextualized. It's not, I'm not going to do like a, just a, you know, like a sex and dating talk. Um, that's at one this afternoon. Um, uh, but it's contextualized by this wonderful series you're in. Um, which is actually rooted in, in, in this text that I'll, I'll read out loud. Um, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All those are incredible, wonderful things. Bear with each other. <laughs> That's a really good one, by the way. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. That's a wonderful posture to live in. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is one of those lines in a, in a piece of text, this last one here, uh, that love binds them all together in perfect unity. It's one of those lines that for the longest time, like, I, like it, it's a jump over line. Like where, I, where, I, where my mind naturally hangs out is the list of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving people. Like those are the things that stick to my brain. Somebody say amen? Like that's the thing. And then there's just kind of this tagline at the end. It's just almost like, it feels almost like sort of an exit line. It's like, oh, and, and then, you know, over all these things put on love, which binds them together. Over the course of time, though, what I've come to find out is this, this line here that the, the, the love binds all these things together in perfect unity becomes really, really, really important. And I'll talk about a little about my experience of these other words of, of even things like humility or patience or kindness and what love does in, through, and to those expressions. I want to be a kind person. Somebody say amen? But I want my kindness to be rooted in love and an expression of love. And let me just say it out loud. Sometimes it's not. I'm not always kind because I'm trying to love you. Somebody say amen. So we'll come back to that. Um, one of my favorite practices as a teacher is when I, when I go to talk about something that's like hyper-specific or a word that's hyper-specific, um, prayer, worship, love, I like to find out what the world around me actually thinks about the word or the concept. And there is no surer place to take a really quick survey of the cultural temperature around the thing than to go to the Google machine 
and just type in the word and ask for imagery and see what the Google machine spits back at me. When I type in the word love and I go to the Google machine, these are the first two, this is the first screen. Look at this, I don't know if you have feelings. Um, this is the first screen and then, and then here's the second screen. Oh, right, oh. What do you see? Like, give me some feedback. Like, like I'm gonna go back to this, you know, this this first screen. Here's that first screen. Here's that second screen. Give me some, uh, like, what jumps out at you? What are you seeing? What are you seeing, like, on the image or, uh, in the images? Like, what's jumping out at you? What do you see? Hearts. What else? It's cute. <laughs> That's a really good one. What else? Hot young people. Come out. Let <laughs> somebody say it. <laughs> What else? Anything else? Romance. More? Anything else? It's physical. Does this bug anybody? It's too clean. Come on. <laughs> Let's pray. We're all done. It's too clean. Um, yeah, I mean, and is, is watch, watch, watch us now. Is this love? Yeah. Partially. It's great. It's fine. All these things are wonderful. All these things are really wonderful. But it's deeper. It's broader than this. Which is to say, this isn't wrong. I used to be more of an elitist than I am now. I'm just still an elitist. I'm working at it. Um, but I would, look at th- I would look at these expressions and be like, oh, you're missing it. Love is this other thing. What I'm coming to is like, this too is love. Somebody say amen. It's a gateway into love because maybe this is how it starts. This is oftentimes how our relationships with people in general start, whether it's church, whether it's uh, romance with someone, like a lifelong relationship, whether it's friendship, is there is this expression this and, and this, this sort of like sensational, cute, wonderful, like attractive thing, and we get in and then it gets messier. And that too is love. Um. I've learned a lot about love um, in like my own personal expression of love by thinking I love things, finding out that I love things in part or in incomplete ways. Somebody say amen. Like, I, like it, there's, there's a way in which we can, like I'll do this this morning and we'll talk, but you don't really learn. Love is one of those things that we don't really learn by talking about. We actually experience it. We feel it in our bodies. We receive it. We can think about it. We can put words around it. But I don't really learn love unless it literally moves in and through my life in some way, shape, or form. So um, I was a theater kid in high school. Somebody say shocking. Um, I loved it. That's what I would have said as a sophomore. I would have said I loved theater. Uh, I really enjoyed performing. Again, somebody say shocking. Um, I was really, I was, I, I was pretty good at it. It's one of the things I liked slash loved about it is that I was pretty good at it. Um, a story, it's actually in the book. Um, I was, um, I was in a, I was in a competition, um, which is funny to me now that there are like theater competitions, like, um, I'm going to fight you with a monologue. And, uh, I, my friend, Jeff, was in the audience. He was not a performer, but he was one of those folks who was just, he was a friend of, uh, of the cast members in most of my plays. 
wonderful person, still a dear friend. I've literally known him since I was two. Jeff is in the crowd. Uh, it's a room a little bit like this, um, and it's a competition between drama programs at different high schools. We had a pretty strong program at Clayton Valley High School in Concord, California, run by a gentleman named Tom Wills, who was an incredible human being who truly did, I'll say it out loud, love theater. So uh, under Tom's tutelage, I got better at the performance part of things. I was in this competition. I had been in some competitions before, and it had gone decently well. And so I walked to uh, the middle of the stage to do this, uh, to do a, a monologue from a play called uh, It's the End of the World. And that was um, right where my heart was at the time. Um, and Jeff tells the story um, to me later on that as I walked out on the stage, there's a group of, uh, of, of drama kids from a competing school, College Park, uh, in Pleasant Hill, which is right next to Concord. And they had a pretty good program as well, so we were always kind of head-to-head. And as I walked to the middle of the stage, Jeff said that this you know, student in front of him said, hey, is that that Justin McRoberts kid? And I was like, oh, they knew me? And the other kid goes, yeah. And the first kid says, I heard he's really good. And the other kid goes, yeah, I heard he's a jerk. Jeff loved telling me that story. And I waited for the part of the story where Jeff was like, like told me that he defended my honor. There was no part of the story like that. He just wanted me to know that there were people in the audience who didn't like me, which was good for my soul. Uh, I did. I liked myself a lot. I, I would have said that I loved theater. What I loved about theater is what it did for me. Somebody say amen? And that's not bad. It's just incomplete. And here's how I figured that out. A little story about called loving, called loving Shakespeare. Um, I was in another uh, competition uh, later that year. No, maybe a year or so after that. It was a Shakespeare competition. Boy, now we're getting real deep. It's a competition of people in iambic pentameter drama kids fighting in rhyme. Nope. Uh, not gonna. I'll do a piece of it. Okay. Um, and um, there were like 200... 200 performers uh, in this is a California Shakespeare competition. And I moved through the first round, second round, third round, and I was actually, I got to the final round. I was a little bit shocked at the time because some of these performers were absolutely stellar. Um, there were seven finalists, and I was one of seven finalists. Of those seven finalists, four of them were doing, I wasn't doing this monologue, four of them were doing the same monologue. It was a prologue to Henry V. And it's a beautiful speech, and there had been a Henry movie earlier in the year, maybe I think in the summer before, which is why so many students wanted to do it. It's a gorgeous speech, so a lot of students were doing it. There were four of the seven were doing the same monologue. I was doing a different one. I was doing one from, from Richard II, who's like this distorted, dark, brooding, terrible, angry character. I was like, that's me. And so um, I went, I think, fourth. And two of the students who'd gone before me had already done the Henry speech. <laughs> this is one of the, like, as I'm, as I'm telling you the story, I'm like, I'm about to say this out loud. Uh, I wrote it in a book so everyone would know, like, how big a jerk were you? Oh, let me show you. I walked to the middle stage, and I said, my name is Justin McRoberts. I'm from Clayton Valley High School, and I will be performing the prologue of Henry V. <laughs> Kidding, I'm not. Everyone else is. <laughs> and I turned back around, and I got into character, and I did this whole speech, 
And the kid who won is a kid named Adrian. And uh, he went on to the next level of the competition, and he won that competition as well, and he, run, he won a full-ride scholarship to NYU. And I, like, I agree. Like, his performance was incredible. Yes, he did the prologue to Henry V. That was a Saturday. On Monday, Tom, uh, a drama class, says, can you come see me before rehearsal this afternoon? I said, sure. So I walk into drama class, and Tom says, hey, um, I want you to go to my desk. I want you to look at your, uh, your score sheets. I said, okay, cool. So I'm flipping through the score sheets. I was like, oh, whoa. Cool. Wow, I did pretty well. Like, out of a possible 60, I, I got a 56. That's pretty great. He says, yeah. I want you to look at the fourth judge's comments. I said, okay. So I'm starting to read through, and I said, so if I got, I've got, if I got a 56, what did Adrian get? He goes, yeah, Adrian got a 58. I was like, whoa. Ha, I almost won. He goes, no, no, no. Read the comments. I got to the fourth judges. It says, excellent performance, three-point deduction from mouthing off. I'd won. But I lost. And the real difference, Tom said, between what you did and what he did is that he loves Shakespeare. You are so interested in showing off and that judge wanted you to know that you made it about you. Now, there's a good bit of, you know, not shame in there. Like, it's good to learn to love yourself. But how much better to learn to love what I have to offer? A true lover of the theater would have known that as talented as you can be, the best thing you can do with that talent is add goodness, truth, and beauty to the moment you're in and not just lift yourself up in it. Did I love? Yes, I loved myself a little bit more than the situation I was in, and I cost myself in doing so. Can I get an amen? There's a point at which, like, yes, I want to love myself. I want to like what I'm doing. But there's a point at which, as much as I might love myself, the better way to even love myself is to make of myself an offering to the context that I'm in, to the relationships that I'm in, to add the best I possibly can. I want to bring the best I have to the table, but I don't want to do it so people walk out thinking, hey, there's that Justin McRoberts kid, and then someone else gets to say, yeah, I heard he's a jerk. I want it to be like, oh, thank God he's here. This is about to get better for everybody. This is what the text says about love, and I love this. Uh, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. When I initially started reading this text very early on in my faith practice, the thing that jumped out at me is that this is about sacrifice. That's what love is. Love is about sacrifice. And there's a part of that that is actually true. Somebody say amen. Part of how I know I am loving someone is it actually costs me. But it's not just that. So I want to recontextualize this, the notion of like love and the relationship between love and sacrifice with where you've gone so far and what and, and this like, examination of, uh, of, like, of these, I want to call them postures, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, all these wonderful postures, are they love in and of themselves? I'm going to suggest that they're not, and here's why. 
because, and maybe you're like me, I don't know if you can actually read this because I, I use the wrong color text, but like, have you ever experienced any of these from someone who you were pretty certain didn't have your best interest in mind? Like someone who's offering you a kindness, but you're pretty sure they're up to something else. Someone who's willing to put up with you for a time, but you're pretty sure there's some sort of ulterior motive. You ever actually like express these things? Even gentleness. All of these things in some way, shape, or form can still be weaponized. They can still be tools of manipulation. I can be messing with your head by offering these wonderful gifts. Somebody say amen. Some of the worst of our relationships are relationships in which there are a lot of really wonderful traits. But at the core, there's something missing. And that's the thing that I want to call love. So I want to recontextualize it one more time and say that this is th this whole notion of laid down his life for us. I don't want to just jump over it. I kind of want to break it down. He laid down his life for us. So what does it mean to lay down your life? That's the first part, right? That's that list of things. I'm going to offer. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you the best I've got in some way, shape, or form. I'm going to give you my kindness. I'm going to give you my patience. I'm going to give you these things. I'm going to make an offering of my time, my talent, my money. I'm going to make an offering. That's the first bit. I lay down my life, the act of giving. But then it kind of goes a little bit further, right? He didn't just lay down his life. He laid down his life. He, I mean, he didn't just lay, lay something down. He lays down his life, not his gifts. Watch this. He doesn't just offer his gifts. He doesn't just offer his strength. He doesn't just offer his time. He offers his life. And it's a different posture in me emotionally, spiritually, socially, that when I'm giving you my time, when I'm giving you my patience, I'm actually giving that as an expression of who I am as a person and not just the thing you need. It's not transactional. It's relational. He lays down his life. That when I offer my time, when I offer my talent, when I bring the best I can, I do it as a point of personal connection. This is about forming relationship with you. This is about making myself available to you. I'm offering you my life as a person. So I give as an expression of my whole person and an expression of my life. And the last one is this, that even as I do that, as I offer you these gifts, I offer you my life, I don't have an agenda. You're the agenda. I want you to flourish. I want to give the best I can because I want a relationship, and I want a relationship because I hope to God that as I'm in a relationship with you, your life gets better. That feels a little bit more like love. Then when I offer you my patience and I'm putting up with you, it's not just because just there's some crap in you that I don't like and I've got to get through the day. It's because over the course of time, I hope that my generosity and patience can be a gift to you that you actually know that the worst of you can come to the table in five months, five years, Five decades later, there's someone who's still going to be around and that that actually changes you and you're deeper, richer, and better as a human being because of it. That's love. And that's how love binds these things together. Um, I want to take a quick look. I, I would love someone else to either crack open their phone or if you have a physical copy of the Bible. Do you remember when they did these in paper? Um, it was way back in the day when people used to, there was a rotary phone. You would hit that and the zero was all the way back and Anyone had a zero in the number didn't get as many phone calls. Um, uh, I'd love for someone to crack open their Bible or, or, or jump to John uh, chapter 8. Literally, I'm asking someone here to and just hand up as soon as you have it. Um, right there. What's your name? Hi, Sarah. Good to see you again. Um, would you read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11? I just want to take a look at, like, this is one way in which 
this this notion of like offering Jesus offering a specific actually like a gift in a moment as a connection point relationally for the betterment of someone else. This is a little bit what it looks like. Go ahead. So this this moment in which this woman is trapped, literally trapped in this, like, it, it's a cultural trap. Somebody say amen. And part of how you know it's a cultural trap is like, <laughs> where's the guy? It's a cultural trap. It's not for her betterment. They're just caught up on the law. It's not about who she is. She's caught in this trap. And what Jesus does is he actually literally puts himself between her and danger. These are people who actually want to kill her. That's, that's what they want. This is what the law says. We're going to stone this woman to death. And what Jesus does is he steps into the moment. He actually puts himself physically, emotionally, socially between her and danger. He stoops down and starts drawing in the sand to draw attention away. And now they're paying attention to him. And he doesn't just do it to make a statement because when everyone leaves, what he does is he goes to her and he makes that connection. He says, has anyone condemned you? She says, no. He says, yeah, well, neither do I. He offers himself the best of what he is. In that moment, he does it as a point of personal connection, and he does it for her benefit. That's how kindness and patience gets bound together by love. And that's also where it looks like sacrifice, because it could have cost him, and eventually it does. Can I get an amen? Love isn't just about sacrifice. It does eventually cost us, but that's just because it costs us to be in a relationship. Period. Um, I'm going to wrap it up with this a little bit. Um, Another kind of picture of love. I did not have a lot of friends in college. Someone said shocking. Um, uh, And it wasn't wasn't because I was antisocial or busy. It was just that I had a lot to do, and I didn't like being around people a lot. Um, That was a better joke than you gave credit for. Uh, one of the ver- one of the only friends I did have was was uh, a person named Carrie, uh, Carrie Buttrick. Um, that was her actual name was Buttrick, Buttrick. Um, that never got old, um, still isn't. Uh, and um, she and I became friends, and we were in a couple. We were friends because we were in a few philosophy classes together: philosophy of art, philosophy of religion. So we would spend a lot of time talking about like Friedrich Nietzsche and what the what the meaning of the word meaning was. Um, this is hyper nerd stuff. 
But when we weren't doing Harper Nerd stuff, um, she was educating me about lacrosse. She played lacrosse. And she told me how much she loved the game of lacrosse. She used the term all the time. She's like, I love lacrosse. I'd never seen lacrosse played because uh, I, I live on the West Coast. More, like Apparently more of an East Coast thing. She's in Boston. So um, I eventually make my way to a game. And like I said, I'd never been to a lacrosse game before. And I like she explained a little bit of it to me. And the part of the lacrosse that I did not know or expect was the violence. I did not see that coming. Um, I was scandalized by it. As I walked up to the edge of this, this field, uh, I'm watching, and everyone's in white, so I can't really tell where my friend is. They're very, all of these young women are very fast. Uh, so I, I can't, I don't know where I'm supposed to be, can't fall. And then I see this one athlete dodging back and forth who's all, you know, wearing the white, but also has like this, looks like kind of like a brown kind of badge of some kind here. Like, maybe means that she's a team captain. Turns out that's my friend Carrie, and this is not a badge. It is dried blood. And it's all, it's like the shape of Argentina on her, like, on her shoulder. And as she comes to the sideline to greet me, she's like, hi, I'm so glad you're here. I can see the dried blood, like, down her face and neck. And I was like, Carrie, you're bleeding. She goes, I know. I just got sticked in the face. I was like, are you... Are you serious? She goes, yeah, I'll get her back, though. All right, you going to stay? And takes off. And she, like, bounds in the field, bloody, happy as hell, just stoked. And what I see in her in the moment, like, it wasn't just toughness, although she's, like, one of the toughest human beings I've ever been around in my life. Just, her name is Buttrick. You got to get, I mean, you're going to be, like, you're going to get through life and learn to fight some battles. But I saw in her this joy and the willingness, not just the willingness to suffer, but like to recognize that this is part of the game. To even take some joy in like getting sticked in the face <laughs> as part of the game. Her love for the game was on display. And it inspired her teammates and it inspired me. Like, I want now, I would, I get to go like watch pretty girls get smacked in the face and bleed and their points for this thing. Like, I'm into the scores. Like, tell me, anyways, like, I, like, her love for lacrosse enhanced the moment. Her love for lacrosse added energy to the team. Like, that's what love looks like. There's this, like, I want to be here. It, yes, I'm bleeding. Which then comes to this question. Well, kind of land the plane here. Um, about love. Do I find it here? Um, oops. I lost my bookmark. Um I'm not going to find it. Oh, there it is. What I saw in Carrie on the lacrosse field wasn't just toughness. I mean, sure, she was one of the toughest people I've ever known, but toughness is just the word I use to talk about her willingness to endure the pain and injury that comes with playing the game she loves. Which is to say, there's more to toughness than it simply being some quality we apply to everything we do. It's not that. If Carrie had gone bowling and ended up bleeding from her face, she'd likely stopped mid-frame and gone home, probably to play lacrosse. But lacrosse and her enjoyment of the game were worth the pain. Deciding whether something or someone is worth pain is a question of vision and priority and discipline and most of all, of love. What I saw on Carrie's face that day, along with coagulated blood, went way beyond toughness. I saw a love for the game of lacrosse. Let it be so for you and I that when we give ourselves away, 
when we are patient, when we are kind, that what folks experience in us is actual love. What they experience in us is the sense of what we sang about early. Who must I be? How worthy must I be for this person to give me the best of who they are? That when we offer our patience and our kindness, when we offer our gifts of generosity, may it change the way the people around us see themselves, that they would know that they are deeply loved. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as we uh, like finalize this this morning, just I'm going to ask you to spend a few moments from this next song and ask the Spirit to search your heart. Where are the places in your life where you have the opportunity to offer gifts like patience and kindness and generosity? Who are those people? What do their faces look like? And what does it look like for those gifts of yours to actually become or be or continue to be acts of actual love that you give as a point of connection and relationship for the long-term benefit of those you're giving yourself to? Amen? This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.